Welcome to the StoryGrid Writer's Room Podcast with Valerie Francis and Leslie Watts. This show is all about getting writers writing. There's a story inside of you that's trying to get out, and even though you love this stuff, sometimes it feels like you're banging your head against the wall. Well, the StoryGrid method is like a decoder ring, and it will help you crack any story you can dream up. The hardest part is knowing where to start, but that's what we're here for. We've been where you are now, and we can help. Here on the show, we'll give you a practical approach to the StoryGrid method so that you can put it to work. If you want to crack the story code, roll up your sleeves, and let's get started. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of the Writer's Room Podcast. My name is Valerie Francis. I am a writer and a certified StoryGrid editor, and I specialize in stories by, for, and about women. And I'm Leslie Watts. I'm a StoryGrid certified editor, too, and I help fiction and nonfiction writers craft epic stories that matter. So all season here on the podcast, we have been doing a deep dive into Gillian Flynn's 2012 novel, Gone Girl. We started with the editor's six core questions, and then we went through each of the quadrants, the four parts of the story in as much detail as we could fit into one episode. And so today what we wanna do is sort of round it all up and talk about some of our key takeaways, what we learned, what was helpful to us, what wasn't helpful to us. But before we do that, let me uh, just quickly run through the beginning, middle and end again. Uh, just to remind you what the story is about. All right, so in the in the beginning hook. When Nick's wife Amy goes missing on their fifth anniversary, Nick must decide whether he'll provide truthful details to the police so they can find her as quickly as possible, or whether he'll keep certain things to himself. Nick decides to lie and withhold information, and as a result, the police take him in for informal questioning. In the middle belt. And this is the whole middle build one and middle build two together. The police and Nick investigate Amy's disappearance separately and are operating under different assumptions. The police believe that Nick is involved or possibly responsible, while Nick believes that Amy is framing him. When the police charge Nick with Amy's murder, he must decide whether he'll focus on his defense strategy or keep trying to lure Amy out of hiding to prove that she is the mastermind behind the crime. He keeps trying to lure her out of hiding and she eventually does return home. In the ending payoff, Amy eventually returns home so the charges against Nick are dropped. When Amy announces that she's pregnant, Nick must decide whether he'll continue to try to prove that she's a sociopath or become the idyllic husband and father that she wants him to be. He decides to do what Amy demands, so he and Amy begin the rest of their life together, a future that Nick describes as one long frightening climax. So Leslie, over the past five weeks and our deep dive into Gone Girl, what surprised you most about this story? Well, actually what surprised me most was how much I enjoyed studying it. Right. I've said a few times, I might have mentioned, (laughs) right, that this is not a story that would appeal to me normally. 
um, when we did the the film, I talked about that then, right? I'm like, these people are despicable. I don't want to hang out with them. But I've made the take my takeaway in in one in more than one episode, I think, was exactly that, like how rich the story is and and how much I've enjoyed looking at it. But the other thing was for me was really figuring out what we're talking about when we're t- when we talk about a masterwork and seeing it operating here in Gone Girl, right? So we talk about out in the world, and I know Valerie, you're going to talk about this too. That that there's commercial fiction and there's literary fiction, right? And and figuring out what people what do we mean by that really, right? Those are categories. Those are sometimes we describe the audience when we're talking about it that way. And what really came home for me with Gone Girl is that we can use story grid tools to figure out what's going on with those two stories. So I would call Gone Girl a masterwork, a true masterwork. Right. Now we have stories and we've talked about this. A story that works is one that is that meets the expectations for readers of the genre. Right. And what we really mean underneath that is that it satisfies the conventions and obligatory moments. And that's great. Like that alone, if if that's where you get with your first novel, bravo, because that's not an easy thing to do. But there are stories that go beyond that. And when I think about the stories that go beyond that, like Gone Girl, they appeal to lots of different kinds of readers. And you hear about people who don't normally read are reading this book. Why is that? And then the other piece is that it lasts for a long time and that people in different cultures and different times read it as well. Now, we don't have that necessarily. Gone Girl has only been around since 2012, so we don't have that test yet. But what Sean has identified in what the stories that last have in common, Gone Girl has all of those things. Now, and it's related to human emotion, which I love, that these stories evoke within the reader three well, actually four very specific emotions. And Sean talks about these in his introduction to The Wonderful Wizard of Oz and his introduction to The Hobbit, those masterwork guides. Um, And it's, it's um, it's quite heady stuff. But the bottom line is that these novels do more than one thing, right? A strictly commercial or a strictly literary story does one basic thing, but a masterwork is doing several things um, that I hoped we will be talking about more in the future. Isn't it funny that you and I hit on the same thing here? And, you know, we, we, we come up with our material for each episode separately. And then we come together and record the show. And that's exactly 
what I put my finger on as well. This whole conversation between genre fiction and literary fiction drives me a bit nuts. I have to be honest. It, whenever someone starts to say, oh, is it a plot-driven novel or a character-driven novel? I want to just tear my skin off because that's the kind of conversation that people who don't create stories for a living have. And I guess it's really not their fault because they're not creating the story. So they're not looking at it from the same perspective that I'm looking at it. And I mean, that's fine. However, I think anyone listening to this podcast is listening to it because they want to become professional writers. They want to level up their craft. They want to get better at being able to tell a story. So, or, or maybe this is just a great hobby, in which case, you know, great. Well, we're glad to have you here. But if you're really interested in leveling up your craft and getting better at telling stories, you just like let go all that discussion about bleh, plot centered and character centered and ugh. understand that it's the same thing. First and foremost, in my opinion, a story's got to be entertaining. I think that's job one. And as you said, if it's only entertaining, hey, no problem. People will buy your book. They are getting what they paid for. And they go away happy. You can earn a great living. I mean, look at James Patterson. Uh, and this is not a slight against James Patterson. The man is printing money <laughs> by writing books that are entertaining and they meet the expectations of his, his readership. So good on him. But they're not stories that stick with you for a long period of time. They just aren't, They're, and nor are they designed to. The great novels, and I think people who are attracted to StoryGrid are attracted to writing a story that has a little more depth in it. And these are the, the great works that we keep going back to over time. And as you said, Gone Girl just hasn't had a chance yet to go through the test of time, but I'm confident it will survive that test because it's got all the other stuff you can read it just as a straight up thriller and be entertained and feel like you got your money's worth and go away happy. And buy Gillian Flynn's next book, right? But it's got the kind of, it is the kind of story that sticks with you. Whether you want it to or not, your mind can't help, but go back and think about Nick and Amy. Now, if you just watch the film, I'm see, it's it's hard for me to say this because I I've done them both. So it's hard for me to say what you what a person's reaction would be if they only saw the film. I, I'm not sure if you've only seen the film, whether it would stick with you as long as the the novel sticks with you. If if you've only seen the film and it's staying with you, then let me know at StoryGrid RT just pop me a message on Twitter and let me know what you think, because I'm curious about that. So, you know, it's really interesting, Leslie, that even though you and I looked at this separately, that is, that that's the first thing we both put in our notes. The very first thing that you can have a novel that is entertaining on a superficial level, but also has the deep layers of meaning to make the story stick with a reader and last over time. Is there anything else about the story that surprised you when we were studying it? 
I was surprised by how many elements we had from other genres. You know, it's a psychological thriller, but I, you know, as we talked about, there's a marriage story, marriage love story in it. There's a, there's a big battle, which is from the war genre. There's a big performance from the performance genre. And and so that's really interesting to me that there are so many elements. I shouldn't be surprised at all, but it's all these elements plus the biting social commentary, which was what really hooked me. And I think also made me resistant to this story initially. So that's interesting. Isn't that what literature does though? Isn't that what our job is in essence? to hold a big mirror up to society and say, this is what you look like from where I'm sitting. How do you like it? <laughs> the other big takeaway for me, or the, the big thing that surprised me was how well the narrative drive was done or, or created. It's interesting to me, and, and I, wonder, I, I wonder what other writers have thought about this. It's done so well and so seamlessly. I'm curious to know if other writers are thinking that, well, narrative drive's easy to pull off <laughs> because it's done so well here and it's so organic to the story. Nothing in this story is forced. It's not like suddenly, because there are novels that you read or films that you watch where, you know, there's a deus ex machina, this thing arrives uh, and it doesn't make any sense to the story or a character acts totally out of character and it's done as a way to propel the story forward and it sticks out because it's like, hang on. Like in, in I mean, far be it for me to criticize Harry Potter, I, I won't do it. But there is one thing in the very last book that made me go, ah, what? And that is Ron acting out of character. When I, I know he's got the horcrux around his neck, I know all that. Don't send me hate mail. But it's still, Ron is such a loyal friend. That is his predominant trait. He's loyal to Harry it to me would have been even better if his loyalty could withstand the horcrux and for him and he's 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 not a dumb guy if he could recognize the change that that wearing that necklace was having on him it would show a maturity in his arc if he said can we all take turns wearing this or can we put it somewhere because it's having an effect on me and I don't like the way, you know, like it could, to me, there could have been more done there. So there's that kind of thing that can happen to propel the, the narrative forward. And it feels forced and it is forced. In Gone Girl, the narrative is driven forward completely organically because of the characters she's developed acting in character. Amy is totally acting in character the whole time. 
Nick is acting in character. Desi is acting in character. These people are wacky. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the plot that she's designed lends itself to this type of narrative driving. So I would, I would just drop maybe a flag of caution here that just because it looks really easy um, doesn't mean it is. And it is something to be um, admired, I got to say. I hope I get to meet Gillian Flynn one day because, you know, I just want to thank her for writing this book because I'm learning so much. All right. So, Leslie, what, what is your biggest takeaway? If uh, You're going to have a bunch, I know. But if you could narrow it down to maybe one or two, what would your big takeaway be from Gone Girl? Well, of course, I was going to look at the, the narrative device and point of view. And with a story that's as complex as I mentioned earlier, right, it's got these four components, macro components. It's got, you know, it's got core events for multiple genres. The only way to pull this off is with a robust narrative device. And that where does that come from that comes from having a clear writer's perspective right what you were talking about valerie about the author is sitting from in their perspective you know in their point of view and looking out at the world and this is what i see these are my observations about life and so you have to have a clear writer's perspective. So one of the insights that I had while working on this is if you want to write a story like this, how do the how how does narrative how does narrative drive fit into point of view and narrative device in that schema that I came up with for the in the point of view beat. And so my my thinking now or my adjustment from studying Gone Girl is that you have to have your strong writer's perspective, your unique worldview, which determines the question that you want the reader thinking about, which is nothing more than narrative drive. And that determines your narrative device, which then determines your point of view. So there's a connection a deep connection between the narrative drive and the writer's perspective. And that was one of my favorite insights. But on another note, um, Valerie, cast your mind back to when we were talking about this in the round table. And there was that scene when Amy kills Desi. That was, whoa. Gruesome. <laughs> it was gruesome. And it just didn't feel right. And the thing that I pointed out was it's the most in intense scene in the story, but it's not the core event. And that's right. So it felt off. And so to me, the fact that it wasn't done that way in the novel kind of confirms that, yeah, that didn't work. And so I've, I have the story I'm telling myself about this is that some movie producer is like, yeah, we need, this is a thriller. We need a gory scene. 
So you got to put that in. You got to show that. In the novel, it happens off stage and it works perfectly. And it doesn't take you away, distract you from the real story. So uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> what about you, Valerie? What was your biggest takeaway? Well, I think just the point that you're talking about there, I think it has to do with the fact that a novel and a film are different beasts. So in the novel, it works very well to have Amy tell Nick how she killed him while they're in the shower with the, you know, where he proves that he's not wearing a wire. And if there's a bug in the room, the sound of the water covers it. That works really well. But that's not very dramatic to look at. Not when the alternative is to actually show the murder because it's a visual medium. So I, so I agree with you. I agree with everything that you're saying. I want to pick up on something else that you said. You said it's a complex story and it is, but it isn't complicated. This is a beautiful thing. And this was my biggest takeaway from Gone Girl. Yep, there's lots of threads, all kinds of threads, but they're all serving the A story. So often, and look, I do this too. I'm 100% guilty of this. <laughs> and, you know, Leslie can, <laughs> Leslie can confirm that I do this all the time. We want to make our story more interesting by adding more characters, by adding another plot line, by, you know, making the story more complicated when it doesn't need to be and nor should it be. Anything that you put in your novel needs to serve the main story. Even though Gone Girl's 170,000 words, which is a pretty big book by today's standards, there's nothing extra in it. There's no fat in this novel at all. It is a lean story. Everything that's in here needs to be in here. You can't take any of it out. And nothing needs to be added. That was my biggest takeaway. We don't make the story more interesting by adding more complications for the sake of complications or more characters for the sake of characters. We make a story more interesting by making the story cleaner, neater, by clearly defining the objects of desire for the characters, by clearly articulating what our point of view and narrative device is and the editor six core questions. <laughs> Right? By clearly having the editor's six core questions articulated in our mind, the reader doesn't ever need to know about them. You know, and readers, readers don't need to know this stuff. That's not their job. That's our job. So anything that we put in the story, if it doesn't make our A story, our main plot line better, take it out. Otherwise, it's weakening the story, not strengthening, strengthening it. Um, what was the most useful thing that you learned, Leslie, from the study? The most useful thing for me here was the process, right? Reading the book, creating a loose spreadsheet. I will not, <laughs> I will not claim I didn't do a very, you know, clear, specific 
story grid spreadsheet, but I gathered what I needed to answer the editor's six core questions and then rereading it to break down the quadrants and really see how those macro components were working. Now, we, we didn't have time to discuss everything. Um, and before today, we've spent five writer's room episodes and five up episodes talking about this story. So we haven't talked about everything, even though we've talked a lot about this story, but the process of studying it for several weeks, rather than what we did on the round table, where it was, here's this week's story. Next week, we've got a new story. Um, it, it was really, really valuable, um, which is not to say that the work on the round table was invaluable. That was really valuable. And I think important to our early development of story grid editors that, you know, just read a story, call it, move on to the next one, read a story, call it, right? Then you get a lot of, of stories. But if you haven't gone this deep with a story and read it and reread it and analyzed it from different angles, then you're missing out because that is what was most valuable to me about this process. And having time to, to think about it, to let, to let the novel, to let our lessons marinate <laughs> a little uh, was super helpful. And also getting to hear your perspective on, on issues helped me understand them better. Because on the Roundtable podcast, which was great fun and I loved it, but we tended to pick our own topics and study them in detail. Here, what we did was take the same topic and we both studied the same topic. So we got a deeper understanding of it, which was great. Um, for me, the thing that I found most useful was looking at how Gillian Flynn handled the psychological development uh, or evolution or devolution now, depending on how you want to look at it, of uh, the characters. Because coming into it, I mean, I'd done study on uh, psychological stories, whether they were thrillers or not. So I had, I had some knowledge coming into this. I had a bit of a footing. Um, however, films in this case are different than novels because everything in a film is condensed. So if you look at um, like I did a, a study of Whiplash and Black Swan, and my big aha from that was that there were very few steps between, uh, like an Andrew in Whiplash, between a healthy, in, you know, energetic, vivacious young man to someone who snapped. It was very few steps because it's a shorter story. In a novel, my theory was that you need more because the, it, it's longer your reader is with you for 10 or 15 hours instead of two hours. William Deal's Primal Fear is a, it's a fabulous book. I highly recommend it. The, the, the film's fine too, but it's more of a legal thriller in my opinion than a psychological thriller when you read it next to the, when you look at it next to the novel. But Primal Fear is a very different type of psychological thriller than the one I'm writing. So when I looked at Gone Girl, I really wanted to see how Gillian Flynn handled 
this issue, the psychological element. And I thought, okay, there's one of two ways. Either it's revealed quickly that there's a, an issue here that, that the psychological element is on the table, or it's revealed slowly over time. I wonder which one she does. Well, she does both with two different characters. They have totally different effect on the reader and the story, but they both work beautifully. Let me explain. Amy, with Amy, it's revealed very quickly. And that's the midpoint shift when we, we realize, oh, hold the phone. What is going on here? What you mean, do you mean to tell me that that diary was not true? No, right? That is jet fuel for the story. If the reader was, like, so this is how she used it. She, she used it to recapture the reader's attention and drive the story to the end of the book. Because suddenly now we're in a whole different story than we thought we were in. It's still a thriller. It, like the genre, it's not that the genre suddenly changed or anything like that. We thought we were reading a love story and now we're reading a Western. No, it's still a thriller. All of that is still on the table, but the story took a big right turn and it just got better. With Desi Collings, it's revealed very slowly. It's sort of just drip, drip, drip. Initially, we think, you know, well, poor Desi. I mean, you know, he's a bit of an odd duck, but he, he still has a torch for her. He clearly was in love with her and she's the one who got away and he still has a torch and he, he wants to make sure she's safe. You know, we don't totally think he's, um, you know, a, a, a lap dog or anything like that. He's, he's, not, he's not pathetic when you first meet him, but nor do you think he is crazier than Amy. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, like there's a, there's a few little, what do I call it? A dissonance in his character. So there's a, there's a little something there when you first meet him. Heightened by the fact that Nick really wants him to be the person behind this or to, or to know something about this because Nick is desperate. But it's not until Amy gets to the lake house because when they meet in the casino, really, the alarm bells still aren't going off that much because after all, at that point, he is her savior. He is the one who can help her. Now we don't know how it's all going to happen, but he's, he is an ally to her at that point. It's only when you get to the lake house and you see that it's been painted in her favorite colors and there's the whole flower room and, the, and then you're, you're thinking, Hold, hold on now. <laughs> he didn't just paint this overnight. This has been, this has been in the works for years. So if she hadn't done this herself, might he have tried to do this down the road? Not beyond uh, reason with, with Desi. And then, so with Desi, it's slowly, uh, rolls out, you know, he controls her hair, what she wears, what she can eat, how much of it she can eat. He won't let her have the money. And you realize, oh my God, 
You know, we thought Amy was the extent of it. We thought she was as far gone as, no, 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 no. There's a whole other uh, area of wackiness with Desi. So suddenly we're kind of hoping Amy's the antagonist here. And suddenly we are hoping that she gets to safety. We're hoping she gets back to Nick. When a few pages before, we didn't want her anywhere near Nick because he was the one in jeopardy. So anyway, all of that to say, Gillian Flynn uses both techniques. They have totally different uh, impact on the reader and a totally different impact on the story. They're both effective. It's like, you know, all of the storytelling tools and techniques are all awesome. They all have pros, they all have cons. The trick and, and our job, I think, is to learn what the pros and cons are so we know which of the tools to select from the toolbox at any given moment to create the effect that we want to create in our stories. So I think, you know, is it is it better to suddenly reveal that the character is off balance or is it better to reveal it very slowly? Well, one isn't better than the other. They're different. So know which one will work best for your story. Now, in saying all that, Leslie, what didn't work so well for you? What wasn't so useful for you? Honestly, Valerie, I couldn't think of one thing um, with the exception of my resistance to studying the story. Um, but that didn't last long. So, it, yeah, it was just from beginning to end really useful to study this story. And so, you know, I think I mentioned last week that sometimes what you resist is exactly what you need. And so if there's a story out there that for you is like, I hate that story and you haven't read it, you might want to read it <laughs> just to check it out. I mean, it's just one book, right? So yeah, for me, the whole process, the fact that it was a story that I wasn't interested in actually was more useful probably than a story that I love because I'd probably be willing to overlook some things. <laughs> well, I picked Gone Girl for a very specific reason. It's because it's the same genre as the book that I'm writing. It also is nonlinear. It also has a story within a story, which is similar to what I'm doing in my novel. So, um, as I, w I mean, I was, yes, we did the editor six core questions and that kind of stuff, but I was studying it with very specific topics in mind. I wanted to see how Gillian Flynn tackled certain things so that it could hopefully help me tackle my novel. So in terms of something that maybe wasn't as useful to me was actually the point of view and narrative device. That's not to say it isn't awesome. It's done really well. You know, like it, it is. So I don't want anyone to think that that I'm criticizing it or I think it's there's a failing in in Gillian Flynn's execution of point of view and narrative device. There isn't. However, considering I was going to her work to see how nonlinear was done, to see how a story within a story was done, her approach works great for her novel, but it won't work for my book. It just won't. 
Um, and I did consider it for my book. And I said, and suddenly my story started to fall apart. So her point of view and narrative device, device, although expertly executed, wasn't useful for me in my work in progress. So for that, I have to go to other stories uh, like um, The Imitation Game, which I know is a film, but structurally, it's a lot more similar to my novel than Gone Girl. Interview with the Vampire, which again, structurally is totally different than The Imitation Game, but there are elements from it that I can take and use in my novel. So um, so yeah, it's great point of view narrative device. It just won't work for the type of story that I'm telling. All right, Leslie, what are your final thoughts here on Gone Girl? I mean, we will keep talking about it. Like you said, we did it on all these episodes. We've done it on Up. We've talked about it off air. We've done our own study. We'll continue to study this one because it warrants it. But for now, what, what are your final thoughts here on Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn? I think what I'm going to do is double down on my declaration last week <laughs> that this is the great American novel of our time, that it's the, the picture it paints is not a pretty one and that we should pay attention to it. it, it to me, it is, it's still poignant eight years later. And to me, I don't know about you, Valerie, but, but the years seem in a way, obviously faster, but so much changes in such a, such a short time these days that for this story to be all the more poignant in this moment than it was in 2012, to me speaks volumes. Um, and, you know, I might revise my declaration, but for now, I do feel like this story is an, it's an accurate portrayal that can help us all level up in ways that, uh, that we need to. For me, you know, the big takeaway, my, my, I think the thing that will sit with me for Gone Girl um, is really this. We talked about that it's a masterwork and all that good stuff, but it's so easy for writers to dismiss a novel because Gone Girl started a whole slew of books with the word girl in the title. Now we can talk about why it's not Gone Woman, <laughs> or why it's not uh you know the woman on the train or any of the other they're all girls right um personally i think it's the alliteration gone girl is sort of catchier than gone woman but um be that as it may there's i mean there's you know we're choking to death now on books with the word girl in the title or the thrillers that are knockoffs or some variation of either gone girl or the girl on the train so because of that, if, if we're not careful, it's really easy to lump Gone Girl in with all the others and lose the impact of the story. When this novel hit, it innovated the genre. That cannot be understated or undervalued. 
It was different. It made people sit up and take notice. The fact that there's a lot of copycats only only reinforces the value it has. Because if it, I mean, this is, you know, why, even though I think Dracula has some structural issues, it's a great novel, which is why there's so many knockoffs. Because there's something about it that goes beyond that superficial entertainment. There's something about it that resonates, that makes us not very comfortable. So when you see a, a, a crop of stories popping up that seem to be knockoffs or seem to all be the same, find the one that started it and study that novel and see if you can figure out what is it about that novel that caught so many readers' attentions that made the sales soar, which made all these other authors write other books like it to try and catch the wave. Because most people, and it pains me to say this, but it is nevertheless true right now. Most people read, if they read, if they're readers, they read one book a year. So in order to achieve the New York Times bestseller or to be picked up as a film or to have the type of longevity that Gone Girl has, it has to be capturing those people who only read a book now and then. Because if they're only going to read one, they want to read the good one. They don't want to waste their time with the 8 million not so good books on Amazon. <laughs> they're waiting for their friends who are readers to say, aha, I found it. I have mined the 8 million titles on Amazon and I have found the one that you are going to love. And, you know, Gone Girl fits the bill. So it, it behooves us all <laughs> to find the ones that are at the beginning of these big waves and study them. And that wraps it up for this week. Remember, if you want to become a better writer, you've got to write and you've got to read. Why not challenge yourself this week to take one of the ideas we talked about in the episode and use it in your work. To support the show, leave us a rating and review and tell your writer friends about us. And if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to subscribe to the channel. If you want to see how we put story theory into practice, subscribe to the Unpodcast at ValerieFrancis.ca slash Inner Circle or Writership.com. For show notes, blog posts, and information on the StoryGrid courses and guild, visit StoryGrid.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.